Hello, I'm David Osman. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. With me again today is Peter Warburton of Economic Perspectives. Our subject for this podcast is, is the game up for the UK economy? The Independent Research Forum promotes a broad range of the best investment-related independent research and data providers, both macro and micro, many global, some country-specific, some sector-specific, and some stock pickers. At present, there is an unusually wide range of forecasts for the UK economy next year, ranging from under 2% real GDP growth to over 8%. The evolving outcome will have a major impact on investment decisions this year. So I'm delighted that once more, we are joined by Peter Warburton, who is the founder of Economic Perspectives and their chief economist. Peter has a long and distinguished career as a top tier economist in the financial sector, previously working for leading firms, including Robert Fleming and Lehman Brothers. He has been a member of the IEA's Shadow Monetary Policy Committee since its inception in 1997. In addition, Peter is Managing Director of Halkin Services Limited, a global risk analysis and asset allocation service. Founded in 1996, Economic Perspectives is an independent global macro-financial research company that challenges conventional thinking and provides valuable investment insight for professional investors. Peter, welcome back. Let's begin with a brief introduction to economic perspectives and the service that you provide to your clients. Thank you very much, David, for for having me back. Yes, just very briefly, so economic perspectives has been my initially my my personal consultancy vehicle, and then for about the past twelve years. Uh, we built out the firm into an office and staff and, and obviously a much greater range of research and publications. So our flagship publication currently is Market Focus. And that's where we, we gather together already all our, our new thinking. And we also translate it into some favored assets that we connect to these themes. So in other words, we, we try as far as possible without giving recommendations, which is not what we're in the business to do, but to guide uh, our clients towards the assets that that are likely to outperform in the environment that we envisage. So basically, we have a view of growth, which comes from the world of credit. And then independently, we we have a narrative around global inflation, which has been a long-standing preoccupation with economic perspectives. We're not going to talk about inflation today specifically, but yes, those are our key preoccupations right now. So, Peter, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the prospects for the UK economy in the next three to four years? Well, definitely, um, you'd have to put me on the, the pessimistic side of the spectrum. So I think what's confusing, perhaps, is that we do have one of the stronger growth forecasts for this year. But obviously, this this year is extraordinary in that we hope and expect um, perhaps more towards the second half of the year that there will be a spirited rebound in economic activity, some pent up demand, some reopening of 
certainly service sector activity, which is currently crushed by lockdown and restrictions and, and so on. So there will be an interval of rapid growth. But really, I think this call is really about where we land after that interval ends. And obviously, we can talk about why, why it ends um, and why we just can't share in the roaring 20s narrative that some other forecasters are talking about. So, Peter, when you look at the um, outlook for the economy on that three to four year horizon, how do you feel the government can manage the enormous budget deficit that we uh, have now? Well, I think, and perhaps I should just flesh out a bit more why our view is negative before moving on to, to the budget deficit. But essentially what we think is going on with the UK is, is that it, it is suffering from not only the impact of COVID, but, but also it's suffering from the impact of deglobalization. So it, like the, the UK economy, and London in particular, has been a, a major beneficiary, I think, of global flows and um, obviously a, a global influx of mi migrant labour as well. So what's happened really over this last year so both because of Brexit and, and disadvantageous terms for the City of London that have emerged from that, um, and also from the severe impact of locking down you know, our major capital hub. Basically, this has been like a, a, double, a double whammy effect. But I, I, I think it, it leaves a lot of questions about how easy it will be to revive the London economy, how willing people will be to come back and work in their offices, how, how much tourism can be attracted back into London. Um, but I, I think these pose lots of difficult questions in terms of the scale of, of economic activity that we can expect into next year and also into the following two years. So, Peter, what does this mean for fiscal policy in the medium term? Well, we're currently looking at a budget deficit of close to £400 billion in, in the fiscal year 2021, which is coming to an end in, in a couple of months. It's difficult to describe really how extraordinary that, that figure is. And um, I think the, the, the issue here is... Clearly that there is a lot of one-off emergency spending that the government currently estimates that uh, of that 400 billion, that 141 billion is, is specifically related to COVID spending. And then there's probably something like, a, um, I don't know, somewhere between 70 and 100 billion, which is loss of, uh, well, a, a, a mixture of, lo of loss of, of income. Uh, for, for the exchequer and also additional welfare spending and, and so on. So uh, there's some colossal impacts, but the, the issue really is, is how much is going to be able to be taken away on the timescale that they have planned. So, for example, that $141 billion is projected to fall to $55 billion in, in 21-22, and then nothing thereafter. And I want to suggest that the tail of spending related to COVID and the challenges that, it, that it's created for uh, the health and social care system in particular will require politically spending to continue at a much higher level. So I'm looking for that deficit to fall to 
only 275 billion in 21-22 fiscal year and 225 billion in 22-23. Those compare with, broadly speaking, 200 and 140 in the consensus estimates. And is, is there a risk that we're going to be seeing some sort of stagflation as the economy slows? Um, your global inflation heat maps indicate that there are strains in global supply chains. There's some upward pressure on the prices of base metals, freight shipping rates, DRAM prices. In addition, energy costs are rising. When do you expect to pick up in the rate of consumer price inflation to impact on UK monetary policy and the value of the pound? Yes, I think there's a global inflation story. And obviously, we're talking about some supply chain pressures that have arisen because of a, a marked transition in the pattern of advanced economy consumer spending from services to, to goods, particularly durable goods. So we we have a, this anomalous situation where obviously spending overall is, is far below its year-ago levels, but actually spending on some categories of goods is up, you know, 20%. So these are some of the pressures that, that are bearing down on the supply chain. So inventories are low and it's difficult to move things around or much more expensive to move things around. So, so there, is, there is an inflationary impulse uh, that's already visible. But I think what we're looking to is more of a generalization of these inflationary pressures. And the way that they ex we expect them to manifest in the, in the UK is significantly really through the spending power of government putting pressure on, uh, on markets and, all, and particularly on wages. So whilst they may still be working out what the unemployment rate will settle at, uh, it's currently measured at 5%, but it's likely to settle somewhere probably between 7 and 8%. But at the same time, we expect that the public sector will lead up wage inflation quite considerably. Now, the other point that you raise is about the value of the pound. Well, we, we've been wrong so far about sterling. We thought that sterling would come under pressure towards the end of last year. And that, that didn't really materialize. And, and obviously, against the US dollar, the pound has been riding pretty high. Um, we don't think that the, the sterling scenario has gone away. We, we think that, that sterling is still a vulnerable currency. And, and that as the UK's disappointing economic performance is more obvious, then sterling will be part of the safety valve for helping to, to resolve the pressures on the UK. Peter, does the Bank of England have any room to manoeuvre? No, I think the Bank of England, in fact, monetary policy in many parts of the world is is kind of mute. It, it, it's uh, it's passive. It, it obviously is necessarily supportive of uh, government efforts to overcome the uh, the COVID crisis. Um, basically, um, the most significant aspect of policy is clearly the um, the QE, the purchase of government debt to cushion the impact of these massive deficits um, on domestic financial and also cor corporate sector markets as well. But no, I, I, I think there's nothing to be achieved in my book from moving interest rates lower. 
uh, into negative territory. I think that would be uh, a disastrous move, frankly. And uh, I, I think other than, than possibly the diversification in the type of assets purchased by the Bank of England, then I don't think there is anything really for them to do at this point. So, Peter, given the situation you described, what are your preferred investment ideas at present? Yes, I mean, the, the range of, of assets that we favour, and we haven't really added very much to them lately, but, but I think they, they have a very strong tilt really towards commodities, with the exception of crude oil. We think the crude oil maybe is a bit overstated in, in the expectations that the market currently has. So in terms of the equity sector, we, we, we've added electricity uh, utilities as a global sector that we, that we quite favour. So in equity sectors, global mining stocks and global tech hardware stocks are the other global sectors that we, that we favour. Uh, geographically, we, we, ha we have a positive view of Japanese equities, South Korean equities and Swiss equities. And capturing the inflation theme, uh, US five-year, five-year inflation swaps and single-family uh, REITs um, in, in the US uh, as, as well. So those, those are some of the, some of the assets that, that we've left on our favoured list at the current time. Well, Peter, many thanks for this very interesting and informative insight into the service that is provided by Economic Perspectives. If we had more time, it would be interesting to go into more detail on those preferred assets that you have at the moment. It would also be interesting to discuss the ongoing relevance of your book, Debt and Delusion, Central Bank Follies That Threaten Economic Disaster, which was written in the 1990s. The Independent Research Forum is offering a trial to the Economic Perspective Service and can provide details of how to subscribe to the full service. More information is available from the Independent Research Forum on request. Thanks for listening to this IRF podcast with Peter Warburton of Economic Perspectives. <laughs>